Welcome to Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Queer Spirituality, the podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and today I'm welcoming a very special guest. Norman J. Liverpool IV is an author, speaker, and founder of his signature coaching and consulting business, Over the Top Living. Norman is an energetic force with a passion for teaching people how to use their life experiences to create authentic impact. More than that, Norman is your gay best friend. As a Black gay man, Norman is passionate about bringing about awareness of this unique intersectionality and calling attention to the many intersections of ourselves. Above all, Norman invites you to live an authentic lifestyle, being confidently you. His book, Over the Top Living, Walking in Next Level Confidence Every Damn Day, is available on Amazon. Welcome, Norman. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you, you've been on my other podcast, so it's kind of exciting to, to kind of get to talk to you again and, and dig more into the specifically queer LGBTQ parts of what you do. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. I think every every queer person's journey is, is different and starts in a different way. So tell me a little bit about your experience. So I come from what I've kind of coined as an unapologetically black and unashamedly Christian family. <laughs> um, so we grew up in um, Chicago and not only was church a big, excuse me, a big part of my life, it was literally all of my life. Um, my grandmother founded the church that I attended for most of my, my youth. Um, my uncles and aunts are ministers in some in some capacity, um, and there just a, has been a long lineage of of ministry. Um, so I come from a non denominational background, and it really really shaped a lot of my belief systems, um, which ultimately had to be kind of reconstructed uh, when I came out as gay. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so how was how was your coming out experience? So I was able to come out in phases. So I think like it started with me like testing the waters of which cousin I could trust or which friend I could trust. Um, 
And ultimately it resulted in me making the decision to leave Chicago, um, to move to Las Vegas, where I could truly just come out and not be under the scrutiny of, of people who weren't ready to accept it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know a lot of people sort of do that. They move somewhere to, to come out, you know, um, when I was, in, in college, in the University of New Mexico, a lot of people from smaller towns around New Mexico had gone to school in Albuquerque to come out. And so that was kind of their, their experience, get away from the small town and come out. Um, so in, in terms of your spiritual path, did you stay with Christianity? Did you do what, what sort of happened after you came out with your, with your spirituality? So I think with, with my background, it, it was something that I was, it was kind of intertwined in my very being. Um, and, you know, once I moved to Las Vegas, I was still speaking something. Um, but I do believe that I've evolved simply because there was so much trauma that was put upon me by and by, when I say the church, I, I, I don't really mean that as a general term because I, I can't speak as a blanket across, but just in my experience. Um, and it was double compounded because not only was it the church that were telling me this, but the people in the church were my family. And so it was a very, um, a very sensitive thing. So once I moved to Vegas, I was still seeking something. And in fact, I was involved in ministry for the first couple of years after I moved to Vegas. Um, but I feel like my, my spirituality has evolved since then. Um, and I still, you know, would consider myself a Christian. Um, but I, I think that there's an evolution to it. I think that I, I take the, the best parts of it and I apply that to my life while also applying other practices that that seem to to fit in so you know i i chant you know buddhist chants and i i i do the things that that feel good to me so it's it's really an evolution of like my spirituality cool yeah i it seems like no matter what what spirituality or religion you grow up in you kind of find these other things that sort of augment the experience like like chanting for you um you know whatever whatever it is and it kind of pe people kind of adopt the things that really work for them and I, I love that you say that you you, you adopted chanting and, and some of these other practices just because it felt good to you because I really feel like you know that kind of is an intuition like guide in our spirituality it feels good so we we do it and it sort of helps us evolve our spirituality so yeah what what was the family dynamics around you coming out and leaving the church and uh, was there a lot of resistance there did you did you have a difficult time so my story is is unique in that um i have a, a younger sibling who subsequently came out after me as well so it so my the it, the dynamic was strange in that my mother struggled with it the most. Whereas my dad, who at the time I was kind of estranged from, did not. 
And, and, you know, there's some good and, and, and not so good with that. I feel like sometimes I feel like it was easier for my dad to accept because he was not living in with me every day. And when you're not exposed to something every day, I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like you're living your life. Whereas like my mom was in the trenches during this formative time of my life. And so I think her reaction was more out of fear and not necessarily not accepting me. She was, I feel like she was really scared for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my mom really, really struggled with it um, in the beginning. And we went a period without speaking. Um, I've lost a lot of friends as well. And, and just the way that I interact with my, within my family has changed. You know, growing up, I had um, me and my sister and 10 first cousins on my mom's side. Wow. So we were very, very close. Like we all did everything together. We were consistently together in church, out of church. And I think at the time that I came out at 21, a lot of my cousins were going through their own discovery of whatever that looked like for them. And so we all kind of just kind of spread out, you know, geographically and emotionally. Um, And it really changed. I feel like it really changed the dynamic of our relationship. You know, moving forward, my mom is now my one of my biggest supporters, you know, and we were able to work through some of those things. But it was extremely challenging, especially being in a new city and feeling like I did not have that support back home from my mom. Um, it really made things even more challenging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am. Um... You know, when I came out, my mom was was very accepting, and, and, and you know, until she she passed away in 2013, we were very close. She was my my big cheerleader and and, and best friend as well. Whereas my father and I are are still currently estranged. Um, it's interesting though that you said your your mother was afraid for you when you came out because I think that's a common experience. Um, you know, the media sort of elevates this narrative of the dangers to LGBTQ people. And then of course the people that love us sort of fret over what's going to happen to us when we come out um, without really realizing that there's a whole process that we're going through and, you know, having to shoulder other people's worries about our safety and things like that doesn't, is is just sort of another burden in the process. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of it has to do with thinking of the times and context. So my mom grew up um, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And her only interaction to my knowledge, uh, there was a, a, a couple people in her life that were actually out and gay. Um, and those people had other struggles, but I feel like it was, oh, they went through that because they're gay. Yeah. Or they struggled with this because they're gay. And so it, it didn't speak truth into the actual struggle or whatever they were going through. It was all lumped together and said, well, they went through this because they're gay. And that was literally the framework that, um, that a lot of people in that time, you know, were thinking through. Then as we progress into the 80s and 90s, you know, when I'm growing up, and the, the AIDS epidemic and all of these things are happening, those are literally the only, the only framework that a lot of people had to, to go by. 
And so there wasn't like today where there's a, you know, a lot more open conversation about these things. And so a lot of it was left up to your own devices and your own imagination to try to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I grew up, I was a 1970s child. So um, I grew up, was really coming out in the 80s during the, the peak of the AIDS epidemic. And of course, there was a lot of fear um, in my mother and, and friends and things um, around around the AIDS epidemic. And of course, the media made it sort of portray like everyone who was gay was going to get AIDS. And so it was kind of frightening for those people. But I definitely, I think you raise a good point that there's more visibility today. And people know gay people that are perfectly healthy and living, fulfilling, satisfying lives. And so there's perhaps a little less fear um, as this next generation is coming out from the people around them. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting is this experience of coming out and, and having grown up in the church, because I think it's a very common experience for LGBTQ uh -huh. people to, to go through that. And there's sort of often this sort of backlash that people go through where they want nothing to do with spirituality, with religion, with God because of the, the trauma that they experienced growing up. And so how have you, how do you sort of in your work address that for people or sort of help them open that doorway to more fulfillment and, and more connection to a higher power? I, I think that the very first thing is that we have to disassociate um, but like, it can't be me against the church, if, if that makes sense, or, yeah. or the church against me. So I think that we have to kind of disassociate from that. And, and, and if that is a path that someone is wanting to pursue, now, at, at least in where I'm living, like, there's different avenues to express that. You know, we have MCC, UCC, all these different um, open and affirming organizations, um, even with in, in the within the Buddhist community, there's a huge um, LGBTQ plus movement that's going on there as well. And so I, I think where the the struggle comes from is disconnecting from all of the things that we were taught, that we knew, that we were taught to believe, and creating and forging something new. And for me, it was really scary because I didn't know anything else. And my salvation, if you, you know, we'll use that term, or the, the I get, you know, the, the level of my spirituality, I felt always was gauged by my grandmother, who was my pastor, my uncle, was, who was my pastor. And so when I began to take responsibility for my own spiritual journey, I was able to disassociate myself from not necessarily the church, but from the people in the church who made my life hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, there's definitely a process there that sort of happens um, where people have to kind of separate that God, the, the higher power, and the, isn't necessarily the same God or higher power is the people who are 
doing, you know, traumatizing them with these sort of beliefs that they hold that they've gathered somewhere. Cause I, you know, I grew up pagan. I am not really familiar with a lot of Christianity, but I do know that Jesus's message was universally one first of love. And that a lot of the, and that the Bible doesn't even really mention gay people at all. Um, and so it's sort of interesting how that's all gotten kind of conflated and, and inflated, even this idea that there's something wrong with LGBTQ people. Um, what part do you think um, the intersection of, of evangelical Christianity and, and conservative politics has to play in that? Oh, I think that it's, it's it definitely has a place. You know, even if we're looking back at um, like the televangelists of like the 80s and, and early 90s and, and even some today, I, I definitely feel that there was always a, you know, there was, a, there was always an ulter, ulterior, um, ulterior uh, agenda. Also, I feel that, you know, there's a lot of buffet religious people, meaning that they'll kind of pick what they like out of the Bible and they hyper focus on that, and it it always boggles my mind. Um, especially, I think there's only six passages in the Bible that that even mention anything remotely close to being gay. Um, but you have to go beyond that, and that you you have to go beyond the words that we're reading. You have to go into the etymology of the words, the context of the times, and I, I just feel like a lot of times it's just easier to say that's what it said and and so that's what we're going to do but we're going to ignore all of this stuff about adultery we're going to ignore this thing about wearing mixed fabrics we're going to ignore this thing about eating um a shellfish we're going to ignore all of that but this is what we're going to focus on and anytime that there's situations where there's messages of hate or or um, discrimination or bigotry, even as we see today in our, our current society, they pick up like wildfires. And you have the blind leading the blind, following and preaching and teaching these, these contexts that are completely uh, being misrepresented. Yeah, yeah, I, lo I love that term, buffet, <laughs> spirituality. Yeah, <it's> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's literally like we, like people will pick and choose which portion of the Bible to apply to their agenda or to apply to um, to whatever they're they're preaching on, you know. And what was really interesting to me is as I began this evolution of coming out and kind of forging my own spiritual journey, I know I would like look at these preachers and stuff on TV. And it could be no matter what they're preaching on, it always comes back to gay. And I thought that that was so interesting um, that it always came back to gay. Um, you know, my husband was a former minister. And just in speaking with him, how much the, this, what, as they call it, the gay agenda and all of this stuff was preached in these churches, meanwhile, a lot of the people were engaging in the behavior that they were preaching about to the congregation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it was almost, to me, it, it kind of 
opened my eyes to this concept of like self-hate. Like you hate yourself so much for the way that you feel that you're going to condemn other people. Yeah, yeah. And because you're mad that they have the courage and the audacity and, and maybe even enough of the free will to live their lives free from under the thumb of religiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think we often hear about hypocrisy in, um, in religion and in spirituality in particular. So let's um, kind of something I'm, I'm interested in getting your take on is hypocrisy and, and this self-hate idea. Let's, let's, let's spill a little tea. What about, um, we see a lot of this in the queer community too, in the ways that people judge each other. I think there's tremendous issues with racism in our, our community. Um, you know, the body image and splitting up in all these different cliques and things. So how do we, how do we start to solve that as, as, as a community? It's so funny that you, you know, that you bring that up. I actually just spoke on this topic uh, on Wednesday on my radio show, and we had a show called The Image Illusion, and it was talking about how a lot of the, the subsects within our LGBTQIA plus community um, are attacked from within. And for me, living the intersectionality of being Black and gay I feel like I personally received on both ends, like I'm too gay for black people and too black for non-black people. <laughs> and it's this, this, this tightrope, if you will, that you're consistently walking to not be too black or not be too gay. You know, when we're talking about the image illusion, we're talking about body positivity and the way that we see ourselves, you know, and how society, we allow society to really dictate what is desirable. You know, when I first came out, it was all about having that small frame. Mm -hmm. You know, you wanted the 28 waist, you wanted your clavicle and your, all of this to show. You, you, I mean, you wanted to fit into the smallest clothes possible and the tightest clothes possible. And then now it seems like it's evolved into more of this natural, as they call it, like a dad bod type of, a physique and and I feel that having conversations like this allow people to see themselves and other people and I think that that was something that we were missing for quite a long time because when you would look at media the media would show the skinny kind of twinkish thin white um, flamboyant male yeah. as the gay stereotype. And so that is what you had. And then if you didn't have that, you know, think of the reference Will and Grace. Yep. On the opposite side, you had th this other stereotype that gay men wanted to be women, which is cue the stereotype from Tu Wong Fu. Yep. So we're seeing all of these different stereotypes without being able to see ourselves in them. Yeah. And I feel like that has really transitioned the wave of how we see ourselves, what we, what we find as, as acceptable. In fact, there was a study that, uh, back in 2016 that said that 45% of gay men versus 21% of straight men were unhappy with their bodies. 
yeah. had uh, body issues. They weren't they weren't pleased with how muscular their body was, and they were over obsessed with you know trying to eat healthy and all of these things based on the norm that society put out. Yeah, yeah, and the the incidence of eating disorders in among gay men is is very very high. Um, you know, they make up a, a very disproportionate amount of eating disorders among men. Um, right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I totally, I really relate to what you're saying. When I, when I came out in the eighties, I was very skinny. I was, you know, six foot with like a 29 inch waist. And mm-hmm. of course in the eighties, it was all that real buff, like Rod and Tom Paris or Rod and Bob Paris. I forget their names, but they were the bodybuilder couple that was really popular in the eighties and everyone wanted to be big and buff. And I was this little skinny guy and then I hit middle age and that's when skinny got into <laughs> into style and I was not skinny anymore. So you know I've always kind of been not in the in the thing. But I you you sort of touched on an interesting subject I want to go go back to and that is the media's part in in sort of creating these stereotypes and images of of queer people. And I think mm-hmm. the media has done a lot better on representation as far as not everybody being this like either a drag queen or a really flamboyant stereotype of, of what queer people are like. We see a lot more r- regular everyday queer characters on, on TV and in movies nowadays. But what I'm noticing is we're not seeing a lot of black queer characters. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that even today, there is a stigma. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to go there. So there's a stigma within the Black community as it relates to being anything LGBTQ, period. You know, and I'm not using this as a blanket statement to say all, but in my experience and in in many experiences of others, um, that, that has been and still is the case. You know, we can even talk about if we if we talk about just trans, okay, we can just just uh, like if we just focus on the trans community, and how many of those senseless murders yeah. of black trans women were were done by black men, mm. and there is this thing, and I don't know where it stems from. You know, it, it might stem from, you know, the years of oppression or, or the years of, of maybe feeling emasculated and feeling like you have to have someone um, ab- below you. But there was even a quote that I recently, uh, on a movie, and it was a, a Black gay guy and a Black trans woman. And they had got a, kind of got into it and the Black gay guy was really offensive to the trans woman and he later apologized and she said you're a black gay man there's no one else for you to look down to except us Mm, wow and so it i I don't know where it stems from but there is a huge disconnect and we saw this even as we're going back into 2020 um, at the height of the blm movement where queer people of color were saying hey all black lives matter 
not just the black lives of the people that you say, it's all black lives. It's black gay lives, black lesbian lives, black trans lives, black queer lives, everything that's encompassed. And I feel that within our own community, we have been brainwashed into to thinking that life, life has to be a certain way and that there's certain roles that each person is to play. And if anyone kind of colors outside of the lines, it's a bad thing. It's something to be reprimanded. It's something to not be explored. It's something to hide. And that's why a lot of people, especially living this intersectionality of, of being Black and LGBT, grow up with this sense of confusion as to how I can be something, i.e. a Black person, and receive so much hate within my own community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting what you said about the, this idea of not having anyone else to look down on. So you have to kind of create a group that you can kind of villainize because I think, I think we see that even just in the greater queer community, we see, you know, this idea of no femmes, no fats, you know, if you're fat or you're feminine, you're sort of the bottom of the, the hierarchy in the queer community or, you know, the, the trend towards bottom shaming um, that happens mm-hmm. in the community. So there's all this division that's happening. Um, and of course, um, the Supreme Court is geared up to overturn Roe. And that raises a lot of, a lot of questions about where LGBTQ people's rights are going to be, where, where we as queer people are going to be. And it feels sort of like we, we gained some ground and now we all have to to put on the armor and pick up the swords and go back out and fight again. Um, and I'm curious on your take on, you know, all this division, it feels like we're spending so much time fighting with each other that the, the conservative right movement, the far right movement is just sort of chipping away at our rights. And we don't notice because we're too busy squabbling over stupid stuff. Yeah. I, I think that there, there, there definitely needs to be a refocus. And, and one thing, though, that I love about the LGBTQ plus community is that we really can kind of bind together and become a, a force to be reckoned with. But I think that we have to get past so many other barriers to get there. Like you mentioned, like the bottom shaming and, you know, you can open an app like Grindr or anything and it's no fat no femmes, no Asians, no Blacks. And all of these things are dubbed as preferences and things like that, when it really is a diversity of our community that makes us so beautiful. Yes. And I feel like oftentimes we can't even get to the place of progression because we are stuck on this superficial level of of no fats, no femmes, no Asians, no Blacks, no this, no that, that we can't even get to the contributions that the people could actually bring to the movement and would benefit all of us as a whole. We get so stuck on on these, these titles and these labels and, you know, and it, it really causes us to, to become stagnant because it's like we're in this hamster wheel, like we're running, but we're not really sometimes getting anywhere 
because we're not accepting the full contributions of everyone within our community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to, if we want to conquer discrimination against queer people, um, we've got to conquer it from. We've got to address it in our community first. We've got to stamp it out in our community, and we've got to hold each other accountable and say that's not a preference. That's bigotry, and it's not acceptable. And I think that for some reason, as a community, we've gone a little soft in tolerating some of that, and we've we've tolerated things that shouldn't be acceptable um, as right. as a community. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, and I love what you said about when we come together, we are a powerful group. We are a powerful community there. Um, queer people have so many spiritual gifts, so many abilities and so much creativity. And when we stop squabbling with each other over shit, that doesn't matter. We really have a lot of, a lot of power and can really move forward. So I think that's really beautiful. Um, you work a lot with authenticity, with helping people really be authentic. And obviously we've spent a good while here talking about all the things that, that are sort of pulling people away from their authenticity in the community, the body expectations, the, the bigotry and racism, the, the bottom and femme shaming, all of these things. And so how do you sort of get people in touch with letting go of all of those social conditioning factors and really getting in touch with who they really are? So it first comes with a dismantling. And that is where the work really begins because a lot of the perceptions that we have about ourselves were told to us, were taught to us. You know, I remember growing up and my uncle would say, stop walking so fast, put your wrist down, Hold, you know, and, and so when we look at all of these things that we were taught, we really have to go back to the origin of where these things began. And so for me and my work, it's important to understand the full story. And one of the things that I really empower my clients to do is own your story in its entirety. And when you do that, it really is also identifying the villains in your story. Mm -hmm. And, and, and understanding that whether they're family or friends or whatever, they play a part in it. You know, so often I hear my clients say, oh, you know, uh, this person is, is upset with me about sharing this part of my story and, and, and all of that. And then I have to remind them, the story is yours. You own that story. And the people that want you to be quiet, the people that don't want you to accept your story, the people that want to keep you hidden and muted, often are the people that don't want to accept or own up to their part in your story. Therefore, they gaslight you, they shame you to feel like your story has no meaning, your story has no power. And then we perpetuate this cycle of not speaking up. And so in my work, the, the main purpose of living authentically is not just so much that you can get the best out of your own life, that you can live a fulfilled and enriched life, but it's with the understanding that part of your story is someone else's survival guide. You know, I did not have a Black queer person that I could look up to that, that looked like me, that sounded like me, that had similar shared experiences as me. And so I had to make the conscious decision to become that person. 
And when you make the decision to become that person and live out loud and live authentically, it sheds light in some areas that we are taught to keep dark. It sheds light on family dynamics that we need to now go back and, and set or reset or maintain boundaries around. It, it will shed light on friendships that have been one-sided and relationships that we've allowed to continue simply because they're familiar. And I think that there is sometimes a period of, of separation or even a, 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 a touch of isolation that's required so that we can reintroduce ourselves to ourselves aside from the, the, um, the things that we're taught, the things that we believe, um, or the things that we actually feel that we may know about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. I love some of the things you said in there. And, and in particular, you know, you mentioned sort of identifying the villains and then resetting those relationships and particularly setting those and maintaining those boundaries because I think this gets tricky for people who are queer, queer spiritual um, people, you know, that are subscribing to some spiritual outlook because we've sort of get taught in spirituality that we need to love everybody, we need to be compassionate, we need to be forgiving. And people sometimes lose sight of the fact that you can forgive someone and still maintain a boundary, or you can forgive someone and just be like, I don't want to be in your energy. I forgive you and you can move on, but I'm not, I'm not going to come be around you so you can do it again. Um, and so forgiveness I, does not equal being a fool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Yes. I can forgive you. And most of the time, and I believe 90%, if not more, of forgiveness is for me. It's right. because half of the time, the, the times that we're, the people that we're stressed out about, they're living their lives, sleeping well. We're the ones over here with anxiety, you know, struggling, not, you know, can't figure out how to move past the, the negative experiences or the trauma. And, but just because I forgive you does not mean one that I forgot. And it doesn't mean that I'm a fool. Right. I, I forgive you so that I can move forward and heal that part of my life. But you still did what you did. And while people can change, be a change person for someone else. Because sometimes forgiveness is acknowledging that that is the end of that relationship. Yes, yes, I agree with that 100%. And you know, I, I didn't always understand that I had to learn it myself. I um, don't really have anything to do with my father. And when my mother was, was sick, she, she passed of cancer. And um, she when she knew the end was sort of coming, she had this whole conversation where she was like, your father's going to regret and he's going to feel lonely when he gets older. And I really want you to stay open to healing that relationship. And so I tried to do that for a while. And then I just went, why am I doing this? <laughs> it, it doesn't upset him. I'm the one who goes home upset after interacting with him. And I just was, you know, I've forgiven him and I've sort of forgotten about a lot of it and healed a lot of those wounds. But it doesn't mean I'm going to hang around with him and do it again. You know, my father is homophobic. He is bigot, bigoted. He has very old fashioned ideas that he knows better, but he, they're comfortable to him. So he doesn't want to change them. And, and the best thing for me to do is to maintain that boundary and just be like, okay, that's the end of that relationship. And yeah. I think that that's hard for people sometimes to learn. And particularly when you get things like, you know, a sick parent who says, oh, I really want you to, to make good with this other person. And, and 
we have to realize that even though we may love that person who's requesting that, it's still about our own health and our own um, fulfillment and satisfaction. And sometimes we have to say, I love you and I, I hear your request, but I can't honor that. Um, because I know, you know, my husband struggled for a very long time with his family. You know, he'd had a father who was abusive growing up and had had a lot of, was very estranged. And they would do things like try to try to invite him to things and, and then bring the father along or get on a phone call with him and then put the dad on and, you know, and do these sort of sort of shady things to try to get him to, to see or talk to his dad. And he, and so he cut the whole family out until, you know, his father passed away, which, you know, was, was unfortunate because he got to, you know, you know they missed the experience of seeing him grow and, and being with him and, all of the different things that he brings to the relationship he has with them, but because they couldn't just say, we respect your boundaries and we're not going to meddle in this. He had to kind of cut them out for a while. So I think it's important that other people who want to support people who are going through this process of, of identifying those villains and establishing those boundaries and saying no to those things that they also, that that support looks like I'm not going to meddle in this. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing is, what, what is the purpose of meddling? You know, there is a, a level of hurt and trauma, especially in these types of situations, that the other person can never understand. Right. And it's almost doing a disservice to say, I love you, but remove this boundary surrounding this person so that you can make me happy. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's almost, uh, I, I dare to say, an act of selfishness to 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 put that on someone else. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have really covered a lot of ground here, um, you know, from, from spirituality and coming out to the problems in the community with racism and bigotry to this whole process of sort of deconstructing your story and your experience so that you can sort of rewrite the story that you want and really step into that fullness of authenticity. Um, mm -hmm. What, what else, you know, sort of parting thoughts, how would you sort of summarize this conversation? What else would you want to want our listeners to know or, or hear? Remember that you are already more than enough. Mm. You so are good. worthy of the life that you desire, whatever that looks like. And truth be told, everything you need to create that life is already within you. Mm. Now is the time to activate that so that you can live your most fulfilled and most authentic life. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that, that message, because that's really... So good. So good. Um, so I want to thank you for, for coming on the show, Norman. I always enjoy speaking with you and you have such a, a wonderful perspective on the experience of all walks of queer life and, and your work is so, so vital. I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the community. And so thank you again for, for agreeing to be on and, and sharing your, your wisdom with the viewers, with the listeners. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And how can people get in touch with you if they, if they want to reach out? So the easiest way is on social media. Um, if you're on Instagram, my handle is the 
Mr. MR Liverpool. So the MR Liverpool. Um, you can also um, find me on Facebook under Norman J. Liverpool the Fourth. Um, and over the top living, you can search on any platform. Great. Wonderful. Well, um, so everyone, that was Norman J. Liverpool the Fourth. Fantastic coach working with people to really embody their full authenticity and develop fulfilling, satisfying lives. And you can find him on Instagram and at Over the Top Living. Just, just Google it. You'll find it. Um, it's pretty easy. Check out his book on Amazon. And thank you for listening. episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www.queerspirituality.net. Let me know what you think on Instagram at queer underscore spirituality, or continue the discussion with like-minded people in the Queer Spirituality Facebook group. You can find it linked from the Queer Spirituality Facebook page or on the homepage of the Queer Spirituality website. Bright blessings. Thank you.